Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. And thanks, Andrew, and praise team. Thanks for teaching us a new song. It's a good thing. It's a good thing to be challenged and to have to learn new things. It's a great song and comes straight from the text there in Revelation, which is wonderful. If you have your Bibles and you would, turn with me to the book of Acts. We're going to continue our study as we walk through unpacking this book, um, the book of Acts. We're going to do a little bit of review uh, today, and we're going to look at chapter 17. So you can turn to chapter 17, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 15 today. I've entitled today, Turning the World Upside Down. And before we dig into chapter 17, verses 1 through 5, I just want to Uh, Again, give a little review as we think back to uh, this book, the book of Acts. And if you are interested at all, you can go on to our website um, or our YouTube and you can listen to past sermons and you can kind of catch up, if you would, uh, on all of all of the sermons of this series. Um, When we started off, we we looked at Luke's two accounts, right? Acts is the second account in a two-volume uh, work. So the book of Acts, the gospel of Acts, or Luke, the gospel of Luke is his first volume, and the, uh, this Acts, uh, as we walk through, is his second volume. Um, Luke records them. He tells us why he wrote uh, both Luke and Acts in Luke 1, verses 3 and 4, and he says... Um, that I write an orderly account that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. And so he records these, uh, the, these two volumes so that there is a certainty backing up what they have already been told orally. And so uh, we get to um, see this. The first book uh, deals with all that Jesus began to do and to teach this second book, the book of Acts, is what Jesus and the Holy Spirit continues to do and continue to do in the church. And so um, we see that really this book should probably be called the Acts of Jesus by his spirit through his apostles. And so that's kind of what I've labeled this as. Uh, maybe you you, uh, you, you've heard of other um, titles. Yours may say the Acts of the Apostles, um, but we know that it wasn't just the Acts of the Apostles. It was actually a continuation of what we read in Luke. It's the Acts of Jesus, and we see that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, the Acts of Jesus by his Spirit, and he uses his apostles as they continue to proclaim the word, the truth. And we see this truth as um, Jesus is leading people by his spirit to go out into the world, inviting other nations to live underneath his rule and underneath his authority and to be part of his kingdom. And, uh, and so as we continue this series, um, we, we want to continue to build upon that. Our lives... Um, as we continue to grow in our knowledge and wisdom and understanding, uh, my heart and passion is that we wouldn't just become people who know more. I don't want us to become people who just know more. Uh, knowledge is, is good to have, but knowledge left by itself 
the word of God tells us, knowledge puffs up. And so there should never be a puffing up when we encounter our living Lord. And so we need to come and approach his throne boldly, but it's not because of what we know or because of who we are. We approach the throne boldly because of who Jesus is and because of our walk and our relationship with him. And so this morning, again, this is not about gaining more knowledge. Uh, this study is about our walk with Jesus. It's, uh, it's asking ourselves some questions like, how does this passage increase my faith? How can I trust the Lord because of what I've read or because of what I've studied? How is God working in me, in my life, and is my journey with him closer today due to what he's doing and what he's showing me? Um, last week was not an easy sermon for me to preach, um, mainly because it kind of comes across as, here's a bunch of things you need to do. Uh, I just want to follow up from last week, and just to reiterate again, um, some of you are new, and, and, and we're really glad that you're here. I just want to make a point, whether you're new or old here, when, when, when you hear a teaching or a sermon um, it, it should be about your walk with Jesus. It's your personal faith walk with Jesus. It's a journey. And that doesn't mean we set out to be perfect. Because the truth of it is, we are never going to be perfect on this side of heaven. We are to pursue holiness. Holiness is not perfection. Holiness means, in its root word, means distinct or set apart. That's what God is. God is distinct and set apart from sin and from anything that is, that is imperfect. That's what God calls us to. As we follow him and his word, he desires that we would walk with him each day. And it's a journey. And sometimes that journey, you're, you're, you're climbing and you're growing and you're seeing these things that God's doing and it's awesome. And other times that journey seems like you are just struggling. But I want you to know, Jesus is always there. God is always there to help you and to walk with you and to guide you and to direct you. We must be willing to submit ourselves underneath his authority, underneath what he is trying to do, and underneath what he has told us in his word. Why is it important to memorize God's word? Just so that we could have more knowledge? No, so that we can glean more understanding of who our God is. So as we're walking daily, we don't forget the truths, right? That the spirit of God would use his word in the moment that, that I, I maybe struggle in that circumstance to give thanks, that there would be the word of God that's inside of me that reminds me from 1 Thessalonians 5.18 that says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus in you. That doesn't just happen. That happens through our taking the time and the energy and the effort to say the word of God is important. My walk with his, him is important. And in doing so, it's also in tandem, in work with the spirit, with the spirit of God, as the spirit of God guides us and directs us that he 
would be able to do that and to bring that verse to our memory so that as we're in this journey of life, it isn't about all the rights and the wrongs. It's not about the laws that we have to keep or not keep. It's about following what God desires for each of us in our personal relationship with with Jesus, but also corporately because God has set up the church He's put the church here so that we may worship together and encourage one another and realize that we're not in this journey individually alone, but that we have the great privilege of doing this together and helping one another and encouraging one another. I don't know if any of that makes any sense. None of that was even in my notes, but it's been a passion and a heart of mine. Because it is not about keeping laws or doing exact things that that we've got to do in order to look right and to act right. It's about your walk with Jesus Christ. And last week, I challenged you. And I was bold in saying these things we need to do as stewards of God. Because we need to do it. I need to do it. This morning, it's a little bit more mellow. It's not as stern. Whether it's stern or not stern, whatever it is that you hear come from this pulpit and from the teaching from the Word of God may encourage you in your walk with Jesus. Because in the end, that's what matters. In the end, think about it. When you stand before the throne of God and you give an account for your life, you have to give an account for that. You stand before the holy God I don't know what questions he's going to ask. And I don't even know how I'm going to answer. All I know is that the blood of Jesus paid for all of my sin. I do know that I have to give an account for the way that I lead you as a church. The scriptures tell me that. I'm called to lead you and to shepherd you and to guide you. My prayer is that I'll do that well enough that it would bring honor and glory to God somehow. Do I feel inadequate? I definitely do. It's not about me. And it's not how good I lead you or how good you follow me or West Hill. It's about how you follow the Lord Jesus Christ. This morning in this passage in the book of Acts, we pick up at Paul and Paul and Silas are sent that have been sent out on this second missionary journey. And so Paul and Barnabas went out the first time, and as they traveled, sent by the, the church in Antioch, uh, they made their travels, and, uh, and then they returned back to give uh, an account and a word um, to the church there that had sent them. And so as they gave testimony and word, and then they went and traveled to Jerusalem and tried to sort through some of these issues of, of the early church, one of the issues was um, those who were non-Jewish, did, did they have to become circumcised in order to become part of the church? And the answer was very clearly no. They did not have to become circumcised, and neither was the, the law needed to be kept when it came to eating of food and the clean, the, the um, oh, what's that word? The clean rules for dietary. Sure. However that is explained, the Jews could only eat certain things, kosher. Now I got it. I couldn't hear what you said, but now I heard what you said because it made sense. I know, I'm just getting old. I'm a mess. 
kosher. Here's non-Jews coming to Jesus, their faith in this one triune God, and the Jews are struggling and saying, how can they become part of us? How can we become part of them if they're not keeping what God has told us? And so there's this huge argument. So Paul, along with some other leaders, meet down in Jerusalem. They meet with James and some of the other leaders that are there at the time, and they work through that, and then they go out. They go back to Antioch, share what has been and what has been decided. No, you don't have to become circumcised in the flesh. What you need is circumcision of the heart, and Jesus does that. And so um, then Paul and Barnabas get ready to be sent out again, but there is um, uh, a disagreement. There's a disagreement because here's John Mark. John Mark wants to go along, and in doing so, Barnabas wants to teach him and to train him and, and to mentor him, and Paul says, no, he left us, he abandoned us before, I'm not taking him. So... God, in his work, in his goodness, instead of sending just two men or three men in one direction, he splits them. And so Paul finds Silas. And so Paul and Silas head up north. And we're going to look at a map in a, in a minute here. They head up north. And then uh, Barnabas and John Mark head to Crete. And they head the south direction and travel across the sea and, and head to the island. We pick up Paul, and Paul in his journeys with Silas, they're going from city to city, sharing uh, the gospel. And what we're going to see here, I'm going to read you the first 15 verses, um, and, and you can follow along. And as you see that, as we follow along, notice that as in the very beginning of this chapter, it, it shows up again in what we've been seeing over and over and over again. And that is when Paul is going from city to city, he starts first in the synagogue. He will go to the synagogue first. And that's part of what he's already laid out for us. He's going to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And the Jews as God's chosen people have been, are, and will always be God's chosen people. Don't forget that. There are truths, there are promises that have not yet been fulfilled that will become fulfilled in time. We, the church, do not replace Israel and the, the promises that were given to them. But Paul, once he has a burden and he has a longing that his fellow Jews would come to know Jesus, he even strongly, adamantly says in the book of Romans, he said, I, I would die, I would, I would abandon if you would take the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you would be a believer in Jesus, I would abandon it all. I would abandon everything for the sake if you would come and trust Jesus. He has a heart and a passion for his fellow Jews. But in doing so, we're, what we're going to see is their response. How do the Jews respond in the synagogues? And then that opens it up then to the rest of the world. And that goes back to what we see in Acts 1 verse 9. That Jesus tells his apostles, those who his closest followers, as they go out, that they're proclaiming the gospel. They're going to start in Jerusalem. They're going to go to Judea and Samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world. And that's exactly what we see in the book of Acts and what we're seeing here in Acts 17. So let's read this passage. If you would follow along with me, it'll be up on the screen as well. Hopefully you have your text in front of you. Acts 17 verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Am. Amphipolis and Apollo, 
Apollina, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and did a great many, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. And they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them, therefore, believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds, then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for, for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. What we see here first is uh, a clear indication of, of Paul and Silas as they're going in their journey. They passed two cities, two major cities, but those cities probably didn't have a synagogue. And so Paul doesn't stop there. Paul keeps going until he gets to Thessalonica because Thessalonica has a synagogue. And it says here in the text that Paul went in as was his custom. Again, reiterating, Dr. Luke is helping us to see the importance of, of, of the method that Paul was taking as he went out sharing the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the rest of the world. It was to the Jew first and then to the Greek. As was his custom. And then it says, the text tells us that on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary. Necessary for what? Necessary for the Christ, for the Messiah, to suffer and to rise from the dead. And then he says this, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And so Paul is using Old Testament texts, probably from Isaiah, showing that the Messiah would have to come and that he would suffer and ultimately that he would die. Paul gets three Sabbath days to share this. And so for three weeks, he's coming into the synagogue and sharing. We may look at the text and you can quickly read and you may think, oh, for three weeks, Paul was there in Thessalonica and then he got run out and he went to Berea, Berean. No, I think he was there longer. 
I think he was there longer. I think what the text tells us is that Paul and Silas were allowed three Sundays to come and to preach. All right, he was able to be in the synagogues for those three for those three Sabbaths, not Sundays, three Sabbaths. But after three weeks of hearing the message of the Messiah being Jesus, the religious leaders put a stop to it. And so, what happens though is Paul continues to proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah to those who will listen. And so, even though it's not in the synagogue anymore, Paul is still proclaiming. And what we see is what, what Luke shares with us in verse 4. It says, some of them were persuaded. Now, notice the words here. It's, very, it's critical. Some of them were persuaded. Who were some? The Jews. There were some who were persuaded, some in the synagogue. And they joined Paul and Silas. As did, notice what Dr. Luke shares with us in the next phrase, a great many of the devout Greeks. So here were the Greeks who were God-fearing people, but as they hear the gospel of Jesus that Paul is preaching, they say, yes, we believe that, and they follow Paul and Silas. A few of the Jews, a great many of the Greeks. And then he says this, and not a few of the leading women. And so women that were leading in that, in that area, in that city of Thessalonica, as they hear the gospel, it wasn't just a few of them either, a, a number of them, not a few. And so we see this also when we see the description of as Paul's preaching in Berea. The reason why I believe that Paul wasn't there just for three weeks is because we have a letter. Actually, we have two letters called First. Thessalonians and second Thessalonians. And so in just a, a little bit next week, I'll talk a little bit about the first letter that he writes to the church in Thessalonica. All right. Because Paul is here now in our text today, he's in Thess Thessalonica. He's preaching, he's teaching, they're establishing a church there. Those who are followers of Jesus and in doing so, there's no way that he could have set up and, and instructed in just three weeks all that they had and all that they were learning, all they were going through. Because of what we read in 1 Thessalonians, which will be when Paul gets to Athens in just a little bit, he's going to write to the church up there in Thessalonians and deal with some of the things that they're dealing with. And so he's already instructed them, already taught them, already given them some instruction and so I believe this is longer than the three weeks. He's been there for a period of time. But after a period of time, the Jews that are there who don't want to hear the gospel are led by their jealousy. They're led by their jealousy of what has happening. Because now Paul and Silas have this great following. The great number of devout Greeks and not a few women and some Jews. And so as they're teaching and, and continuing to teach, Paul is, and Silas are staying at the house of Jason. Jason is a term that, that is, would, would be sometimes used during that time for Joseph, for like a name like Jesus or Joseph. Instead of being called that, they would just add and change it to say Jason, and it just singled them out a little bit because there were a lot of Josephs during that time. And so Jason is there, and, and he's got some people in his house that are staying at his house. Well, the, the, the jealous Jews hear that. They come to his house looking for Paul and Silas, and they don't find them. 
And so what they do is they go ahead and pull Jason and some of his comrades, and they throw them to the wolves, per se. And they hold them, and they start accusing them and asking them, inquiring of them, where is Paul? Where is Silas? But they don't give them any information. What's interesting, at the end of verse 9, it says, when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. I'm not sure how all that fits into play. I'll let you wrestle with that. Um, I do know that what we see in Romans chapter 16, verse 21, you may want to make a little note to verse 7 when it says Jason to point you over to the book of Romans because Romans 16, verse 21, Paul talks about Jason and his household and his comrades and those who have helped him in his journey in proclaiming the gospel. And he encourages them and uh, uses Jason's name there again in Romans 16, verse 21. So the leaders there, the church leaders send Paul and Silas out. They're like, you, you got to get out of here. The mob is after you. All right. And so they go down immediately. They go to Berea. Uh, and when they arrive, the, where do they go? When they get to Berea, they go into the synagogue. They go into the synagogue again. Now, these Jews, I love how Dr. Luke explains this. Now, these Jews were more noble, right? These were more noble, and he doesn't even mince his words. They are more noble than those who were in Thessalonica. He calls out the Jewish leaders who are up in Thessalonica. Now, those who were in Berea are more noble. Why? Why are they more noble? Because they dressed better, because they were friendly, because they were kind, because they were nice? No, we see it in the text here. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. And so the response is this. Verse 12 tells us, many of them therefore believed. Quite different from the term that, that, Paul, that Luke uses in verse 4, that some of the Jews in Thessalonica believed. But here in Berea, many of the Jews believed. With not a few Greek women of high standing, as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica they learned about the word of God that it was being proclaimed. It's not about Paul. It's not about Silas. It's not about their word or, or what their agenda is. Dr. Luke helps us to see what is of most importance. It's the word of God being proclaimed. And as Paul and Silas are proclaiming the word of God, those who were in Thessalonica, we'll look at the map in just a moment, those who were in Thessalonica get word that Paul and Silas are down there preaching, and they say, let's go do a missionary trip. You know, we need a missions trip because those people, they need to know what the truth is. And so they go down there and uh, they start agitating and stirring up the crowds. And, uh, and so they get these who are not followers of the way of Jesus, the Messiah. Um, they start bringing uh, a violent attitude that these people, um, that the leaders explain in Thessalonica best, and it's pretty descriptive, actually. Because when the leaders in Thessalonica go down to Berea, they've already made their accusation about who Paul and Silas really are. Their accusation is this. These people, these men, who have turned the world upside down, are here now, in our place, bothering us. And we need to get rid of them. 
It's interesting to think about that in our, in our world, in our day to day. If there would be such a movement by the Spirit of God to raise up his people, that it could be said of us, these people who have turned the world upside down, they've come here too. Let me show you on the map real quick all that's going on. So, again, we start over here in Antioch. Paul and Silas, they head up north. Uh, Barnabas and uh, uh, John Mark go to the island there of Crete. Ultimately, Barnabas is going to die there. He's going to be martyred there on Crete. Um, John Mark continues the ministry. Paul and Silas, they go to Derby, Lystra, Iconium. Uh, the western Antioch, and as they go up, they travel up to Troas, across the sea. We see that they've been in Neropolis, uh, Philippi, and here they are in Thessalonica. We've seen in the text where they travel to Berea, and at the end of our text here, we see that Paul and, Bar- and Paul by himself, later to be followed with Timothy and Silas, they will travel down to Athens. And so Athens is where we'll pick up next week. Um, but you can see, so the, the, the mob that was in Thessalonica, they hear that, that Paul and Silas are preaching in Berea, and so they travel down to Berea to let people know that these people who have raised uh, the crazy thought that the Messiah would suffer and, 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 and have to die, um, they wanted people to know that this, was, this needed to stop, and so they would raise up the mob uh, and, and go down and try to stop this. So our takeaway today, here's a couple of questions that I have for you. Um, the first is, how, are you, how do you receive the word of God? What we see is a contrast here, right, between the two Jewish synagogue uh, and those who were in those synagogues worshiping the Lord. The, the, the one reasoned, Paul had to reason with them, he had to do a lot of explaining and a lot of proving. Uh, my bet is there was probably a lot of arguments going on at Thessalonica. And so a lot of them didn't come with an understanding heart, with desiring to be able to see what Paul and Silas were saying about the Messiah. What we see in verse 11, though, is that those who were in Berea received the word uh, with eagerness. And they were examining the word daily to see if what Paul and Silas said was true. Now, on a side note, let me just tell you, you should never receive what I say to you just as merit. You need to dig in the word and you need to see if it's true. Don't just take it and say, oh, well, if Pastor Aaron says it, it must be good enough. No, no, no. Dig in the word like the Bereans. See if it's true. And so when we look at this, and we think about that in our daily life, when you look at God's word, what's your attitude towards it? Do you receive it? Do you have a hardness or do you have a softness to you? When you come to the word, do you have a hardness like, okay, I just got to get this time done. It's time to move on. I've read this verse a million times. I'm not going to read that again. I'll just skip through it. Is there a hardness of your heart or is there a softness? Are you skeptical of the word? Are you looking to try to disprove it? 
say there's no way that could be true. There's no way. Or do you look at it with eagerness to say, you know what? That is so cool. I got to see. I got to see where else this talks about this. See, how we approach the word of God is critical to our, our journey and our daily walk with him. We see that very clearly here as Paul and Silas are preaching the word. Now, the other aspect of this is not only how we approach the word of God, but what do we expect as we're living out the word? As we're reading it and we hear it and we study it, and as in our journey with Jesus, we're learning and growing, how do we expect that the world around us is going to act? Well, I have three things. Number one, there will be those who will be jealous because you have something that they don't. Hopefully you have peace. Hopefully you have joy. You have a contentment. You have something that the world desperately looks for and is trying to gain. And they're looking for it in, in almost all the wrong places because none of those things will satisfy. And what, what our issue is, is as Christ followers, is sometimes we get thrown into that mix. Sometimes we, either knowingly or unknowingly, sometimes we start reaching and grabbing for things that aren't going to give us what we desperately need. It's only in a relationship with Jesus. It's only in our walk with him that we can find peace, that we can have joy, that we can have a continual excitement about life because of who God is. Everything else fades or rusts or is swept away. So there will be those who are jealous which means that then there will be some who tell lies about you. They want to see you suffer. They want to see you destroyed. They want to see you hurt like they hurt. They want you to feel some kind of agony or pain because how could you be right and they be wrong? And so the lies are going to fly. Ultimately, there may be harm that comes against us. 10, 15, 20 years ago, we would look at that and think, hmm, yeah, okay, somebody may speak ill of me, but what about harm? Folks, I think we are approaching time, and it's closer than ever before, and I can't tell you when, nor will I try to tell you when. All I know is just like Paul and Silas their lives were threatened. Because why? Because they stood for the truth of who Jesus was and who Jesus is. Jesus is the Messiah and he desires to walk with us each day. He wants to have a personal relationship and he proved that by dying for us in our place upon the cross. And not only did he die, but he was put in a grave, in a tomb, and three days later he conquered that proving that he is God. He conquered sin and death. And so we get the joy of walking with him. But the world and is enticed and enchained. They're still in bondage of sin. And Satan desires to use them as his tools to destroy us. And so he'll, he'll use lies and deceit to try to stop Jesus 
and his word for moving forward. But we know the end of the story, right? We know who wins. And so in doing this, uh, what do we expect as we live and share the word of God? We can expect that there will be those who are jealous. We can expect that lies will be told about us, and that harm may even come against us. But the other thing that we can expect is the presence of Jesus to always be with us. Don't ever forget that. The same God that protected Paul and Silas as they were proclaiming the word of God is the same God that's with you and me that lives and dwells inside of us. He doesn't come and go. The Spirit of God lives inside of you and me so that every day that we get up and we go to live our lives, God is right there, ready to walk with us, ready as we dig into the Word to help us understand it so that we may love Him more and live for Him better. Our God is awesome, isn't He? Turning the world upside down. God may not use us, but maybe, I just think, maybe there are a few that are sitting here or listening this morning. Maybe there's a few that God would desire to use you in an awesome and maybe little ways, but maybe there's some big ways. Maybe there's some big ways that God desires to use you to turn the world upside down. For Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask for his help. Lord, we come acknowledging once again that the servant is not greater than his master. You are great. We give our lives to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We are crucified with him. Therefore, we no longer live, but The life that we live, we live in Jesus. Help us to live in you, Lord. Help us to be in your word, studying it, examining it, enjoying it, so that we may understand you better. And not only understand you better, but Lord, cherish you more. That we may be able to catch bigger glimpses of your grace and your love and your mercy. That we can trust you more because we see the evidence of your righteousness and your justice. Lord, I pray for those who are weary and discouraged. For those who are just feel like they're floundering. They're just treading water. Lord, may you uphold them and strengthen them. You told us, Lord, in your word, that you've equipped us for every good thing that you've set before us. Help us not to walk in as defeatist each day. But we are victorious because of what you've already done. We look forward to what you will continue to do through each of us this day and the days ahead. I pray that you would would allow an uprising, whether it's old, middle-aged, or young, that we would be so passionate and so in love with Jesus as our Savior 
and our daily walk with him. That maybe the world would see and would use that same phrase that the Jewish leaders in Thessalonica said about Paul and Silas. That they could say that about us. Here are those who have turned the world upside down. And now they've come to us. It is not about us. It's not about our message. It's not about our life. It's about the life that we live in Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for the life that you give us through Jesus Christ, your son. We come praying boldly that you would continue your work in us. We come humbly realizing that sometimes our will is not what your will is. And so help us to submit to you. Help us to be obedient to you, trusting you, and having our faith securely in the God who knows us and loves us. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. Amen.